This is Upbeat with beatboxer, musician, speaker, and show host, Parker K. It's Parker with Upbeat here with Travis Ritchie, man. How are you doing? Living the dream, brother. And that's Ritchie EY. Is that not a very common way of doing your last name? No, it's not. Uh, most people like will expect it to have like a T and I should be the son of Lionel. <laughs> and not the IE, just EY, Travis Ritchie. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on Upbeat, man. Yeah, brother. I'm glad you're back. I'm excited to have you back recording. I think you did this for a number of years and and stopped because of life. But man, I'm sure the, the life experiences that you've learned in the interim and the people that you've met, are going to impact the world, bro. I'm stoked. Well, thank you for that. And something that you've said has always inspired me, and that is your biography. It's not your destiny. That, that's that been something I've literally had in my mind with coming back. It's like, you know, I stopped, but who cares? I can come back. <laughs> oh, dude, you there there is. I feel like, and, and I'll just throw it out here because I'm wearing the shirt, right? Like, I think this is something that's heavy right now. Maybe it's social media, maybe it's life, maybe it's COVID, maybe it's all the above, but like, the idea behind failing, like when did, when did failure become the barometer? I feel like as you grow, you're a baby. I've got four little ones with my wife. You want them to progress. And so when they start to crawl and then they start to walk, you know, they're going to have bruises and bumps and skin knees, and they're going to fall down and you want to, you, you, you step them back up. You, you, you prop them back up. Right. And you, you tell them, Hey, grab a hold of the couch and keep going or whatever it might be. But like some point in life, we stop grabbing people and raising them up, like because they've quote unquote failed at something like a life or a business or a relationship or like those things are so inconsequential. But bigger than that is like failure is the only way to success. You have to literally go through the process of failing. And I, I just want to put that message out to the world as much as I can. If a relationship didn't work out, if a business didn't work out, if a podcast didn't work out, none of that puts a period in your life. You can always accentuate anything that you're doing and put a comma and keep going. Yeah, I appreciate that message big time. And I know it's going to impact the listeners too. You know, we we can all find common ground in that, you know, we all are failures at something. And if you want to look at it that way, you know, but really it's just stepping stones to success, which is a really inspirational message right out the gate, man. And I wanted to get into your story obviously too. And just kind of, if you don't mind briefly giving a recap of like, who's Travis Ritchie and, and sharing what it was like, you know, in some of your, I guess, quote unquote failures um, or, or times that were just really rough. How did you stay upbeat and power through that? And good question. Great question. Um, <clears throat> you know, growing up, we, we, we kind of lived on both sides of the fence. My mom was a religious convert to a religion and, and my dad, um, you know, was a, a, a notorious gang member. And so I feel like I had this interesting dichotomy at the dinner table of one way they were trying to push us, um, you know, to find the illegal loopholes in life. That was dad. And then, you know, mom was trying to keep us on the straight and narrow path. And so I've had that kind of 
devil on both shoulders, if you will, you know, as I was growing up and I've used that for my benefit. And I tell a lot of those people that, that, that brief story of like my childhood wasn't idyllic. It wasn't negative at the same time. It just was what it was. I think oftentimes we start to look at because I grew up on this side of the tracks or because my mom did that for a job or because my dad wasn't present. That means that X, Y, and Z is in my life. And back to your comment earlier about biography not being your destiny. I've got every reason from a from a biography perspective to be on tomorrow's episode of Jerry Springer. But you know, I've chosen to grab a hold of the pen. I've chosen not to be the victim. I've chosen to rewrite that story with that pen. And so part of that journey that I've had the opportunity to rewrite was a short stint, 17,520 hours where I was incarcerated. And those numbers to me represent all of the time that was taken from my family. Those numbers to me are a direct guidance to me on making sure that I make the right decisions moving forward. But when you look back, and I think this is a, as you step back on a broader scale, um, I was having this conversation with a friend of mine about death. Um, and when people are, are standing around on their deathbed, you've, I've had a grandfather pass away. If you've known someone that's passed away and you're kind of standing around that gurney or standing around that individual as they're getting ready to pass through this mortality, they never talk about their failures or regrets. They always talk about them in positive ways. You know, and so while you're in the middle of it, and maybe you're the 17 year old girl and and you had a child out of wedlock in high school. But trust you me, when when you're on that deathbed, that child, you're all you're going to talk about is how much you love them, the good stuff, the upbeat portion of life. And that's how I choose to reflect back on my incarceration. It was the first time that I was incarcerated, the last time I was incarcerated, the only time. And it was a nonviolent, non-dangerous, non-drug related charge. And so typically those don't see prison. Typically those see some sort of financial remuneration in the form of a fine or probation, et cetera. But my case, I fought that for six and a half years and ultimately lost. When I stood before the judge, he told me in a courtroom filled with my supporters and my family, my wife, my mom, he said that he was going to make an example out of me and sentenced me to those two years incarcerated. And so while I was incarcerated, I had the opportunity to really craft this life 2.0. When you have so much time taken from you, you don't have the luxury of just ignoring the clock. And so every day I would start to write and game plan and blueprint what this version 2.0 would look like. And my wife would come down, she would visit me on Saturdays and Sundays and I would write it out for her. This is what it's going to look like. And this is what we're going to do. And this is who we're going to help. And, and I would start to identify issues within the prison system. And I would, I, I would tell her like, I could fix this. I could help here. And I'll give you an example of one of them. Oftentimes I came across an individual where the crime that they were incarcerated for didn't meet their character. And so what I mean by that is oftentimes you'd have an, an individual, let's say he was incarcerated for car theft. And so he had a two-year sentence. And during that two years, he had to complete certain tasks. He, no driver's license, DMV fines, court fines, rules, regulations, etc. The problem with that, Parker, 
was that this inmate was not a car thief. This inmate was a drug addict. And the only reason that he stole the car was to get the drugs. So I would start to recognize that these crimes didn't fit the character. And now we're having these people just sit in a six by nine cell for an, a period of time. And they would come back out still to drug addicts because we wouldn't get to the root of the problem. And so the limited vision that I had, the limited scope of knowledge that I came to prison with was all around financial literacy. And that's what I felt I could give back to the world. And I would tell my wife and I would say, if, if a lot of these individuals had access to understanding how money works, to understanding their credit score, to understanding how to play the game of wealth building, maybe they wouldn't be a drug addict. Maybe they wouldn't have stolen the car. Maybe they wouldn't. And so I would start to talk and have dialogue on the yard. I wrote this very simple financial literacy book and I started teaching all of these inmates about financial literacy and come to find out it was such a part of their being where they felt so inadequate. They didn't know anything about money. So they didn't have anybody to ask about money. A lot of us grew up in a society where they would say it's, it's rude to talk about money or how much money somebody makes. And so, well, then where do I get the advice from? If, if, I need to talk about money and I need to make money, but nobody wants to talk to me about it. Nobody wants to show me how to make it. Well, then it's no wonder put in the situation that a lot of these kids are that they grow up in an impoverished area and they end up incarcerated. And so I would follow that dialogue with my wife and I would say, I don't want to get involved in whether or not this person was right or wrong or the crime was big or humongous, or I didn't want to get involved in that. I wanted to treat the root cause and treat the human. And so I started with a very simple money and mindset type of mastery. If you can master your mind and you can get away from some of the addictions or the people or the places that triggered these folks, and I could get them over those barriers and I could walk them through some financial literacy, I felt they could be more successful when they left. And so I developed that cute little curriculum that I thought I would just give away in prison while I was there. And I've since been released over a decade. And that fun little prison curriculum now goes to 27 states and hundreds of juvenile jails, institutions, prisons, halfway houses, probation and parole offices all around the country. And each week, we usually tap into a, a positive or a motivational message through their tablets to a little over half a million people. And so I get to deliver that continuous message of hope and inspiration and guidance. We'll have experts on, we had you on to give them a positive message. And so it's created this community where I taught people, you aren't the victim, you aren't the, the example that somebody said you were. You aren't what your teacher said, you aren't what your dad said you were going to be. Everything that you have inside of you, God put there for a purpose. And you don't have, have to read a self-help book. You don't have to go to a seminar. Everything that you're looking for is inside of you. And if we start to reframe that, and we start to believe that we deserve better, and we act better, well, it doesn't matter about our background or our biography. You can choose your own life, and you can build your own destiny. Wow, thank you so much for that, man. There's a lot in there that I'm kind of excited to unpack. First and foremost, I'm just giddy that you're like the perfect guest to come back with upbeat because 
it's about powering through those those pitfalls, those challenging moments. And who who knows that better than people who are in prison right now, even as we're speaking, you know, they're in some really hard times. And then you've been through those hard times. But also what I love is there's kind of, you know, there's the stigma of separating ourselves from people who are like felons, for example, right? We we think, okay, we've never done that. They have, there's differences, but we are the same in, in those things that we really need to learn and grow, right? You helping those people with finances, they probably know more about finances than I do. <laughs> like, I think we all have things that we're wondering, things that we need to learn. And the other thing I really just, was drawn to as you were sharing your story was and it's a question i want to ask is what do you think it is about you being incarcerated that felt this need to like help and like create that 2.0 not only for you but for so many other people um and then for felons who go into jail and stuff like what do they have their own little process of building a 2.0 and is it also a mindset immediately of helping the situation or do they get kind of stuck in a cycle? Great questions. So the first one, I think, you know, kind of like my why, if you will. Yeah. While I was incarcerated, I, I, I kept telling my wife, like, I'm going to use this message. I'm going to turn this mess into a message. I'm going to, I, I, I would literally blueprint it. I would tell her, I'm going to speak on stages. We're going to have our kids in front, in the front row. Like I blueprinted this because I've always been a fan that if, if I'm going to do something, if anybody is going to do something, we might as well go all the way in. We might as well go all the way in and really dive deep. And so I thought, you know what? I'm not going to give them the power. I'm not going to give them the authority over my story. And lucky for me, I had a great work ethic. I had fantastic support in the form of my wife and my family. And, and they couldn't take away what I had learned or what was between my two ears. And so when I came out, I was so hyper-focused. It was, I was just psycho about it, to be honest. Like I knew I had to tell my story. And I think sometimes when people are going through terrible trials, whether it's incarceration or the loss of a loved one or loss of a job or, you know, any type of trauma, I think the natural inclination is to keep it to yourself and to not really talk about it. Maybe we brush it under the rug. Maybe we might tell a close friend or a confidant or a relative, but the last thing most people want to do trauma related is tell the world. Let me tell you how I lost my job. That hurts. Let me tell you how I lost my child. That hurts. We don't want to really relive those things. And then we don't even really know why we would say it. And so speaking to the why we would say it for everybody out there who's listening, who's experienced trauma, you are perfectly positioned to help the people that you once were. And I think that is so clutch when you're asking yourself, why would I tell my story? If you're listening to this and you've thought about starting a podcast or you've thought about writing a book or you've thought about being a big brother, big sister, the reason you're having those feelings is because you're looking for that one person, that one special being that was you. And so when I was sitting there incarcerated, knowing nothing, naive to the idea that 80 
some percent of these folks go in and out and in and out and in and out. I, I didn't live by all of that dogma. I didn't live by all of that negativity. I would go in and I would tell these people, you're going to use this as your story. You're going to use this as your superpower. And they thought I was crazy, bro. Like we're all wearing orange jumpsuits. We're all <laughs> eating these crappy sandwiches. And they're like, this guy over here, like somebody needs to piss test this guy for drugs. He's way too happy in here. And so I would but start I, I bet that they, they actually, I bet, because I know you've got some fun stories of like even people yeah. who are life in prison who got out of prison before life because, you know, okay. they, they were able to correct so much and learn so much. And I bet they thought you were crazy at first, but they probably were excited to, you know, get better too. So excited to get better. And I think that was the medicine that it was like the gift that kept on giving for me. I found this group of people who were so humble, right? Like take it back to like spiritual times, biblical times. These folks were so humble. You were literally eating sandwiches out of a sack in a six by nine cell. Like it really doesn't get too much worse here in America. And so here I was pouring into them like whiteboarding it, like, all right, like literally old school prison style whiteboarding. What do you really need in your life? Mentally, physically, emotionally. I would talk to them financially. How much money? Oh, I want to make money. Okay, great. That's a goal. Yes. Well, how much money is it? What does that represent to you? What would you do with it? Right. And we would whiteboard this. And I was so inclined to believe that if I could manifest it and I could get them to manifest it, that it would become their superpower. I'll tell you a pretty fun story. I got to the point where we, we had created this business course and through the small business development center that had a partnership with the prison and old school ways of these guys getting out was they would go through like career counseling courses. Well, you know, and I know that the last thing that people do from, a, from an employment perspective is hand you a three page stapled together resume any longer. <laughs> Yeah. Everything is electronic, Facebook, LinkedIn, friend of friend, whatever it is, right? It's electronic, it's digital. And so I created this power narrative for them and it was super simple. So let's say they have identified a company they wanted to work with. It's, it's Kane cast with Parker and they would sit across from you. And this was there. And I would record this with them. We'd work on this. And they would say, Hey Parker, I'm Travis. And for the last two years I've been incarcerated so you're going to notice a gap in my resume. But while I was incarcerated, these are the three things that I learned about myself. And when I looked at your company, I felt that these were the three things that I could bring to your company based on what I know about myself. And you stopped talking. And it was this moment of I've identified where I've come from. I don't need to talk about it. I don't need to wallow in it. I don't need to be a victim about it but I've identified it and I've owned it. And you'll find out really quickly if you can continue with the job interview or not. And if it's or not, that's fine, but at least you didn't lie to get there and then find yourself in a situation where you now have a job that you don't want or you're not worthy of. And now you get fired and you're in this spiral. And what I found that when so many of them came out, they, they put themselves there. They put themselves into a lying predicament. I'm going to tell somebody that I'm bigger. I'm going to lie on my resume. They'll never find out. I'm going to put down so-and-so as a, a reference. They'll never call them. 
when instead, if you're really looking for your tribe, and this goes back to if you're starting a podcast or writing a book or going out there to get a job, if you're really looking for the place that you need to be, the place that you have to start is with your authentic self. Cause those are the people that are going to bring you in. I love that. And I, I'm, uh, I don't know if we covered exactly what it was that um, led to you being incarcerated, but I know that you're a money guy and that you have so much experience with finances. And I think we kind of covered that a little bit, but what's interesting about what you just said is it's also so much about mindset, you know? So it's, it's about wanting money and it's about building finances and getting that literacy. But it's also like, do they believe after being incarcerated that they can get a job or are they just the person that nobody's going to look at anymore? And then adding to that, you know, we all have our things like that. It's not just people who are incarcerated. It's all of us and we all can tweak those things. So what are your thoughts there? But I really appreciate what you were sharing. No, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I think, so I have two thoughts. Number one, I don't think that you have to be incarcerated. I, I, I found while I was inside that the worst prisons in America were not made of concrete and steel. Like the worst prisons in America were some of these limiting beliefs that people put themselves in. And I met so many corrections officers that had a worse life or a more negative outlook on life than some of the lifers that I was inside with. And as I would start to walk people through that, <clears throat> and I would say like, there's so much context here around suffering. We know a lot of people that suffer while they're incarcerated. We know a lot of people that suffer from a nine to five job. And I felt while I was inside, one of the things that I did, I didn't feel I know, one of the things I did was unpack the idea of suffering. And I felt that suffering was something that we should come to grips with in terms with that it was part of the journey. It was almost a prerequisite for happiness. Because if you had never suffered through something, then there really was no joy and fulfillment. And I'll give you an example. A lot of these people that subscribe or ascribe to a certain amount of success out here in the world, it's kind of like a trajectory. Once I get the vacation home, then I'll feel. Once I get the promotion, then I'll feel. Once I get the boat, then I'll feel. And when you know those people, or if you are one of those people, when you got those things, the life, the house, the boat, the promotion, you were still empty inside. You still didn't feel fulfilled inside. And so now you are chasing the bigger high, the bigger mountain, the bigger whatever it might be. And so I found that unless you suffered, you didn't really appreciate the daylight that came when you were on top of that mountain. And so when I really extracted this from people, like help me understand what it is that you're suffering through, because this time of incarceration will pass. This time of mortality will pass. But if you don't learn this lesson, then you're never going to get that absolute fulfillment. And I'd have friends that would call me. They'd work a nine to five. It was really like a five to nine, as we all know. And they would be miserable. White picket fence, you know, married to the same gal for X amount of years, 3.2 kids, you know, six figure jobs. And they hated them. They hated the life. And I go like, what is the deal here? Like, there's so many people that I know on the other side of this fence 
that would give their, you know, pick an intestine just to have your life, to have what you have on the outset. And it really boiled down to the fact that these people, number one, couldn't define what they really wanted in life. And number two, they never experienced a real true suffering that forced them to find out who they were, to go to the place to understand what they wanted. So we often just go through life willy-nilly. We go through with a subpar physique. We go through with a subpar job. We go through with a subpar outlook about our significant other or the relationship with our kids or the relationship with our God or the, whatever the employment. Pick a, pick something, mental, physical, emotional, financial, spiritual, sexual. There's so many gaps in life that people are living with because they go, that's just what it's supposed to be, but it's not. Because there's a little tiny guy inside of you or gal inside of you that tells you you're destined for something bigger or better or brighter. And that to me is where you have to get there. You have to experience some form of suffering. Absolutely love that. And you mentioned too your family and your wife a couple of times. Was she, is this the same? Um, I guess, cause when you were incarcerated, it was over, it's like 10 years ago. So are you still, is this the girl that was there with you when you were incarcerated? All day, every day, man. Yes. That's Melissa. So how, so how yeah. important has like the people around you been including her? Man, I, I tell people every day, the only good decision I've ever made in life is Melissa. <laughs> and that has paid back. And I mean that in spades. Um, a little bit of just, we'll, we'll take a left detour here and we'll, we'll talk about relationships for half a second. Picking the people around you in life, boy, so, so critical. I have a 12 year old boy and I, I have this conversation with him on a daily basis when I take him to school. And that is you are, you are the total sum of the three people that you hang around with the most. And so if they walk with their hands in their pockets, slumped over with little self-esteem, eventually you'll get there as well. If they eat certain, right, you, you start to become the network determines your net worth, the sum total of your peers. There's a number of analogies out there. And so I say that on a micro scale to those of you out there, it is a thousand times more important when you're talking about the people in your inner circle, especially your significant other. Having somebody that really believes in you is a special thing in this world. Very few people want to ask you how much money you made this week because they want to cheer you on. Most people want to know how much money you made so they could either compare you or they could ask it from you. And so when you're talking about your inner circle, the people that you're able to really confide in, I think it's critical that as you grow, you force yourself into different circles that, that force you to grow. When you're talking about a significant other, you know, when Melissa and I first got together, um, her goal in life was and still is to be a mom. And I knew that if she had that taken care of, I knew that if she took care of the house, I knew that if she took care of the kids, I knew that if she was able to be focused, and I'm not saying that I don't love to cook and that I don't clean, I'm not using any of these things misogynistically, but her focus was on making sure that our house was perfect in order and that our kids were orderly and perfect. I knew that I could take care of everything else. And so we had our roles defined early on. And so 
she never wavered while I was incarcerated. She drove four and a half, five hours each way, one way, just to see me for a four hour span to turn around and drive back and did that back to back multiple times, multiple days in a row, Saturdays and Sundays to see me. So every weekend, every weekend, that's amazing. Every weekend. That was her, that was her travel plan for the better part of a year. Um, it was incredible, her dedication. And that is how Melissa rolls forever. Um, people who know her, her friends, people understand that when she's in, she's all in. And that's the same girls. We've been married going on close to 16 years. We've got four little fantastic minions. Uh, we have a boy and three girl, uh, girls, uh, and uh, 12, eight, four, and two. So mom has her hands full. And she has lived up to her end of the bargain, her promise, which was to be the greatest mom on the planet. That's awesome. It's so cool to hear about that and and to hear how that helped you to move forward. And I think it's good for all of us to be mindful of that. You know, the, the people we're around could play a big role in our success too. Um, and we can play a big role in their success. It kind of to twist it around a little bit, it gives us more of a calling too to be a better example to the people that, that we're around. I like that. Yeah, it definitely does. I think when, when you're, when you're in today's world where I think a lot of it is negative, right? Like I really do. And I, and I'm trying not to put more, as I say this, I'm trying not to put more negativity into the <laughs> world. Right. Like, yeah. so and I, and I want to qualify that for a lot of people. I think, and think about this for a moment. When was the last time you received a message from somebody that just applauded you or thanked you for what you've done or just for you being you? Probably. Just out, yeah, just out of the blue. Just out of the blue. I mean, it doesn't really happen. It's like you have to post something first and then get comments. Yes. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. And you follow that same trajectory with like how many of those people have you heard from that the traffic sucked lunch was terrible their job sucks uh they want to lose 10 pounds and they can't fit into their skinny jeans uh, you name it right like the negativity mm -hmm. is so overtly present in our society right now and so i i, I just try so hard whether it's me or my wife or our little ones I honestly try so hard to be just that ounce of goodness and optimism and positivity in the world. And so I would share that with other people as a message. If, if, if I could say one thing, it would be like to quite literally be kind to everybody that you come in contact with and go out of your way to send messages on a daily basis to people in the form of whether it's gratitude or grace or optimism, I honestly believe it will just change the world. Yeah. Thank you very much. And that's upbeat, you know, that's an upbeat message right there. <laughs> I've tried to do that too, man. I think, uh, I think I've struggled, you know, to talk here about something recently. I've, I've, I've thought a lot about upbeat and like, it's, it's not niche enough, you know, who's the target audience and blah, blah, blah. And there's a lot of reasons to stop. And there's a lot of reasons to, to, uh, I guess, convince me out of doing something. 
And I, you know, I'm a believer. I believe in good and evil and God and the devil. And I feel like that's the devil trying to keep me from putting something amazing out there. And I don't, the truth is I don't have an agenda for where Upbeat is going now. I just wanted to put good content into the world again. And largely because of what you just said, it's just so much negativity. And honestly, I mean, it was right before we hit record, you know, I was telling you how bad traffic was. I'm, I'm negative and I got a lot that I got to focus on to be, to be positive. So appreciate that big time. <laughs> no, I, I do want to make a comment on that because I think that is super important that you don't have an agenda. I think speaking from a, from an entrepreneurial aspect, I think a lot of people are stifled in their growth right now because they go, like you said, this isn't niche enough or who's my target audience or what's my scope of work? What's my ideal demographic? Who's my perfect customer? And I think all of those things can be good things and they should be thought out at some point. But I think today's world, we over overcomplicate or just complicate. I'm not sure which word to use. Overthink. We really <laughs> overthink. We overthink and we complicate the process of action. I do believe that there's so many people out there that are inspired or guided to do something, to start a business or to change the world or to build something. And then they start down this rabbit hole or this wormhole. And heaven forbid, they might even ask one of their friends who's negative about the idea. And it just turns into just like a kind of a, a beat up session where you go, no one's going to buy this and this is too expensive or this doesn't make any sense. And then all of a sudden you're brushing your teeth at 10 o'clock at night and you're doing nothing but doubting yourself as well. I think there's something to be said for the model that you have just explained with upbeat in terms of my only agenda here is putting goodness into the world, putting honesty and authenticity sharing stories with folks where you've gone through, you've traversed some very, very difficult times and you've made it out on the other side. Like, and, and that could be in all facets of the world, all niches. I think if you're aspiring to do something in the world, whether that's be a great mom or whether that's to be a great entrepreneur or a great podcaster, I think you're going to experience a ton of trial. And I think that when you're able to share stories with other people about how you lived through those trials, how you gained from those trials, that becomes the goodness that the world really needs. It does. It really does. And your story is a really impactful one. And the people that you so regularly work with and help, you know, their stories, they've got to be... I mean, just think of everyone that you've helped if they had a, a podcast episode, you know, and and just put put good into the world. And they just, uh, the, the term that just came to mind is life convicted or whatever, convicted life, like what you've worked on and um, accomplished. Uh, what are some things that you're, you're building right now and that you're really excited about um, and how they're going to help? Good question. Yeah. Um, you know, our, our platform accomplished as a nonprofit is so heavily focused on the next generation. If you are statistically speaking, if you are a male and you have a father that's incarcerated or has been incarcerated, you're eight times more likely to be incarcerated yourself. Wow. And so that is a, 
that's a statistic that I feel like I can change and work on. I feel like the youth of tomorrow are not receiving the conversations around the dinner table that they need to. And a lot of them are consuming content, right, in this form. And a lot of that content is what we just explained, which is fairly negative. And so when you really start to look at the root cause of the incarceration problem, it's pulling people to an identity and understanding, meeting them where they're at and saying, hey, just because your dad is here, or your mom is there, just because your parents made poor choices doesn't mean that you have to. And so that's what Accomplish is focused on next and building next is how do we get into the community? We, we have penetrated the uh, correctional facilities and we've saturated that. We've got a fairly good lock on that. And so now it's like, how do we take that into the juvenile institutions? How do we take it to the schools? How do we take it to where the problems actually begin and tell kids, hey, you might not have it all figured out at home, but that's okay. You might be the product of a broken home and that's okay. You might be like all of these things that you're staring at your, at your sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade self, beating yourself up on a nightly basis about, they quite literally are not your destiny. You should never put a period where God intended you to put that comma. And so that's the biggest mission right now that we're focused on is how do we help the youth understand what their worth is and put them in a situation to just crush the next version 2.0 of their life. And I have a lot of people that are with me, former lifers who have gotten out, individuals like yourself with inspirational stories who get to build these kids up and, and teach them that they can do whatever they want to do. Now, the other side of that, from an entrepreneurial perspective, what I do in my my day-to-day, if you will. So we're focused on investing. That's where I come from. That's what I still do. And we get to build small businesses. And so we invest our own capital, our own money. I don't take any outside dollars any longer after prison. And we look for small businesses that work well in good times and in bad times. And so I like blue-collar businesses. So we own some ice cream shops and some trucking companies. And so we have some blue collar niches all around the country uh, combined with a real estate portfolio that allow us to really spend the time focused on what I love the most, which is spending time with my family. I love that. And you've got the expertise, man. And I think it really kind of boils down to life skills, you know, um, what people, and this is a pin, my opinion, you know, but people, what they're taught in school and stuff, just, it doesn't help uh in as much as it should and there's other things like about finances and stuff that i'm sure you've noticed the similarities but whether you're talking to someone in prison for life or whether you're talking to someone who just graduated high school you know that they, they don't know these life things and that includes me i don't know a lot and i think most anyone listening to this podcast there's things that we don't know that we should know i would agree with you i think we're we're not really giving kids the high schoolers, you know, the next generation, we're not really giving them. What we're doing is we're, we're, we're um, teaching for the test is what I say. And so as long as you can pass, you know, algebra 101, and as long as you get to that test and you have an 80% or above, then you can move on. But the life skills, they just, they're not taught. And so, you know, even, even when from an incarceration perspective, I think it, it holds so much parallel with like high school, because so few of these kids, so few of the incarcerated are sitting across from somebody looking into their eyes and having dialogue. 
Like that's an uncomfortable thing for most kids. And, and I interview a lot of kids who work for us from that, you know, 16 to 22 age range. And for them to sit across from you and have dialogue interpersonal and say, hey, what do you want to do with your life? And it's okay if you don't have an answer. Like the, just because just your high school counselor told you that you can be like a therapist or a dentist or a lawyer and you, none of those you know, resounded with you, that's not the end all be all list. And so I think that same parallel, I've, there's so many of them, whether it's self-worth, self-image, self-hatred, like all of those things, whether you're incarcerated physically or incarcerated mentally. I mean, you look at the suicide rate of, you know, the adolescents in today's world, it's through the roof compared to when you and I were in, you know, middle school. You know, the, 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 the problems that you and I had in middle school pale in comparison to what is going on now, right? I mean, you and I had to pick a sport and had to figure out which sport to be at. You and I had to pick a time to be present. And you and I had, like, you and I hated, and maybe you didn't, but I hated, you know, chemistry. Like, we didn't have to worry about whether or not some goofball was peering in on our lockers or our showers or, you know, urinating in the hallway because they were an animal or, like, the issues that these young kids are experiencing now, and there's really no communication around it. And so I enjoy having those hard conversations with kids and saying, hey, you can design your life and I'm going to show you how to do it from somebody who's done it, from somebody who walked out of prison a decade ago. I'm going to show you how to design a life where you can make six or seven figures. You can fall in love with somebody one time and one time only. You can design a life where you don't spend all of it away from your family right? Like all of these things are possible. You, you can call it have it all, so to speak. I'm not even sure what all is, but everybody resonates with that term. But I think the very first step is two things. Number one, for all the kids listening, is coming up with your identity. That to me is the biggest, most critical part of it. Like, who are you at your core? What is it that drives you so deeply that you care more about it than you care about breathing? Like, what is it that is your identity, number one? And then I think number two is understanding that when you fail, it's only an opportunity to learn. And so as long as you own your mistakes, as long as you raise your hand and tell everybody what you did wrong and where you can identify what to do right next time, failure is the ingredient to the recipe of success. And I think if you follow those two things, honestly understanding your identity and then knowing that when you fail, you own it and you learn from it, the sky's the limit for so many of these kids. And when you start to talk to them, because I get to speak at the schools, when you talk to them in that manner and you don't force them to say, all right, Jared, are you going to be a doctor or a lawyer? And they're like, neither. It doesn't sound fun. And then I'm going to force you into a, a path where you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a lawyer. That just doesn't work today. And so I'd rather understand a kid at, at his or her, you know, biochemistry level and say, what is it that makes you tick? What do you think about? What do you dream about? What do you, what do you love to learn about? And I'm not saying that's going to be the answer, but I'm saying like, I want to know you instead of me trying to force you into a round box on a square hole. I love that. Yeah. Just meeting them where they're at, you know, Again, whether it's a high schooler or whether it's me or someone who's currently incarcerated, you know, you just got to meet them where they're at and, and it can be whatever, you know, like you said with your uh, biography quote, it, it can be patched up and moved on and you just can design whatever. And I think that's so cool. 
Um, well, thanks for, for being on upbeat. I'm going to kind of wrap up here, but, and I was going to ask you, you know, what message would you want to leave everyone with? But I feel like that <laughs> covered it, you know, those two lessons and just knowing that when you fail, it's an opportunity to learn, but is there anything else just so I don't skip over the question that you would really want to leave people with, you know, people who are struggling, but trying to maintain that upbeat attitude and in, in their goals. I mean, just to compound what I talked about prior to, I, I just to just to really nail it home is like I want to make sure that you guys know that you're you're a miracle as you sit here and you listen to this or you watch this. You are literally a four hundred trillion to one miracle. The chances of you being here, born at this time in North America, with the faculties and the resources that you have, it's it's virtually impossible. And you don't need the motivational quotes. You don't need the cup of coffee in the morning. You don't need the Red Bull. Everything that you're looking for to design the life that you dream of is inside of you. I want to make sure that we can be a resource to pull that out of you. Whiteboard it. Talk yourself through it. What do you truly want to do? How do you want to design it? What does it look like, feel like, taste like, smell like? What would you design your life to be every single day? That is possible and it is worthy of everything you've got inside of you and you deserve it. And I just want to make sure that you know that you're valued. It is, it is so important that you're here. It is so important that you're engaged. It is so important that you don't feel that you don't have enough self-worth that you want to make other choices and leave. It is important that you're here to contribute. You've got something inside of you and I just hope to God that you find it. Amazing. Travis Ritchie, man. And where do people go to link up with you? Parker Kane. They can find me at a McDonald's at two in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Uh, yes. Uh, you can probably the simplest place is social media on Instagram. It's I am Travis Ritchie. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, man, for being on Upbeat. And thanks uh, for having me, brother. You know, everyone listening until next week. Here's your reminder to be upbeat. And as we discussed earlier in the episode, don't ignore the action part of it. Don't, don't listen to the naysayers. Just start doing some good stuff. Subscribe at parkercane.co.